I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. Overcoming depression and anxiety probably requires a lot of pain. The two mechanisms to become someone that I was proud of, human interaction and physical fitness. I think a certain amount of vices are not only okay, but I think they're good for you. Do you think that there's a place for shaming people? Yes, 100%. Guys like uh, Goggins and Jocko and Cam Haynes and Rogan, they're kind of leading the way, showing that you can be an exceptional athlete and you can be very capable in your later years in life if you stay on the path. If I go through the adversity of getting choked in the gym, the rest of my day feels a little easier. That everyone is Greg Anderson. This is his second time on the OPP. He was back on April 3rd of 2023. Greg is a fantastic guy and we have amazing conversations about life, about fitness, about aging, about sports and jujitsu. We talk about vices, how to overcome depression and why shaming people is a good thing. <laughs> conversations like this that are free-flowing with someone who I just get along with really well uh, I really look forward to sharing with you because it's more sort of Joe Rogan style it's just you know it's an open conversation I want to learn from him I want to ask him hard questions I want to challenge him and also uh, I want to bro down <laughs> and we did we really cover a wide spectrum of topics in this podcast episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you are a male over the age of 30 and you're looking for some wisdom from some of the dudes in the tribe who have seen some shit, and Greg has seen some shit. He's the host of the Endless Endeavor podcast. You can click that show in the show notes. A really great podcast in your face, honest, upfront with high accountability. And we covered so many great topics. I know you're going to love this episode. If you do like episodes like this, if you enjoy the work that I do and bringing you value every single week, please drop me a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to and find me on Instagram at McCormick. Ladies and gentlemen, let's dig in with Greg Anderson. Greg Anderson, welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you for having me back. This is just becoming a, a regular back and forth thing, and yeah. I like it. So, yeah. and 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 when I say welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast, I mean thanks for having me back to Electric North Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> you made a joke a minute ago about uh, I was like, you know, I'm mooching off you because we're recording on your equipment at your home turf, and you're like, well, you don't have a Jiu Jitsu academy at your house, do you? Well, <laughs> yeah, and. I get to watch you train afterwards. I don't get to join you quite yet. But uh, you know the funny thing of building a building a podcast studio inside of a jujitsu academy, I have three other people that are like, I want to start a podcast. Yeah. Can I use the studio? And I'm like, You're damn right you can. Yeah. You know, because it's not like this stuff is getting wear and tear. It's just sitting there. Right. So it's either being used to put messages out there to the universe or it's just sitting here collecting dust. Yeah. And so this is kind of th this facility has become like a podcast headquarters too. Um, my buddies run their their uh enlightened Neanderthals out of here. Uh -huh. They like to sit on the mats though. Oh. Yeah, they sit on the mats and crack beers. They're like, we don't, we don't want to sit around the table. We like the, we like sitting on the mats. And then uh, a couple other jujitsu podcasts. So it's pretty cool, man. Well, you've got, you've got what six dudes out there right now, like g getting after it, yeah. training. Like this, are, those are are those guys drop ins? Like they just decide. No, so a, another just like I described about the equipment. It's either getting used or it's collecting dust, right? Yeah. And so I tell my team, any time throughout the day that there's not something on the schedule. If it works for you or a group of our guys, let me know and 
come in and train. Yeah. And so most of those guys are cops. They kind of have a, uh, they put together like a, a midday training session, I think two days a week. Cool. Obviously everybody's welcome. That's the one thing I tell people, no secret training sessions. Uh-huh. All right. Cause I've had a couple guys do that and then people catch wind. Hey, can I join? It's like our mats belong to our team. So if you want to open the doors and train anyone that is interested in training, let them know, put it out there and we just make it happen. That's great. And so, yeah, but most of those guys are police officers. They work some different, some strange shifts. And so a lot of times a traditional morning class or traditional evening class doesn't work too well for them and they do a midday session. So that's, that's nice. Well, and security is not going to be an issue for you over here. Like, it's not like you're going to get bad guys coming up, bro. <laughs> I take your shit. You know, I think about that sometimes cause I probably got 25 keys <laughs> out, out of this out into the, the universe, <laughs> you know? But, uh, at the end of the day, I trust, I always tell people like, sure. I'm a businessman. This is a business. This is how I feed my family. But I don't look at my clients as like revenue generators. I'm friends with them first. The business is a sec is secondary. And so if you're a member of this team, there's a good chance I trust you. We vibe. We're on the same frequency. And if you want to come train, here's a key. You yeah. Know? May that bite me in the ass someday? Maybe, but hey, that's life, right? Well, you know, I can't imagine the poor sucker that finds a key somewhere and tries to break in here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, world of hurt. Have you seen, there's a, uh, there's a video going around and I have to believe that it's staged, but I'm, I'm not sure of a guy trying to, uh, rob a jujitsu Academy. No, he walks in the front door and like pulls a, pulls either a weapon or no, no, he had something under his shirt. It was one of those, like put him up, you know? And just so everybody's clear, if you ever pull a gun on me, you bet you're going to have to show it to me. I'm not buying the finger under the shirt. Shit. We're fighting. We're fighting at that point. But uh, the guy puts his hands up. He starts walking like and he walks down this hallway and then the, and they show it from several different angles, different security cameras. Yeah. And they walk into the mat room and there's like seven dudes training. And, and, and you could see there's like that pause where everybody's like, what what is going on? And then they put it together and, and mob the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they like they like like run down the hall or run down the stairs and chase him out. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Like, that's it. Like training, like slapping out. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah one sense. of my buddies just sent that to me last week, and I was like, I pray for that kind of stuff daily. Oh man, <laughs> you sick fucker, <laughs> dude! I'll tell you, because you're how many? Are you two years into jujitsu now? Uh, yeah, year and a half. I I I, I train a little bit, like a you know, 14 years ago. And now I'm like 18 months. Okay. Have you had the opportunity to use jujitsu in real life? No. Okay. I'm telling you, and I haven't, I mean, I've been doing jujitsu for 20 years now and I was a police officer for a long time. So I had the opportunity to use jujitsu a handful of times and it is shocking how well it works. Really? Like when you're, when you're choking someone on the mats, typically they're our friend and we apply pressure in a manner that allows somebody the, the reasonable amount of time to tap out. Right. Yeah. But when it's real life and you just sink a choke in and go full bore, I had a dude go asleep in like two or three seconds. Really? And I was, and I was a blue belt at the time. This was a long time ago. And I remember he was so, or he, he went to sleep so fast that I was shocked. I was like, Oh, this dude, <laughs> I mean, I'm training and I love this stuff, but I didn't know it worked like this, you know? (laughs) Awesome. So pretty cool, man. Surprise yourself. (laughs) Uh, I want to, I want to start, you know, in the last, the last 
uh, episode, we, we kind of bounced around a lot and that's kind of my style is to ask a bunch of different questions and like, let it kind of flow naturally, which, which we'll do again today. But you know, my listeners are, uh, biohackers, optimizers. They like nutrition. They like fitness. They, you know, they, they've stuck around with me and my crazy ideas for, for long enough, but I, you're, you're in a unique so which situation because you're recovering from surgery. Yes. And, and so I want to start by this question, which I used to ask like every single guest for probably 150 episodes. And I kind of got away from it just to mix it up a little bit, but you know, you're, you're a few weeks a month. Uh, yesterday was five weeks post-op. Okay. So I, obviously I want you to t- uh, tell the listeners about, about the surgery and, and your recovery and stuff. But this first question I used to lead in with everybody, whether you were a doctor or an author or an Ironman, I'd lead with this question. So I'm curious, what have you put in your body today? Today, the only thing, actually I had two meals. I had eggs and steak <laughs> and that's it. And, and a half a gallon of water with two grapefruit element in it. Uh-huh. And that's not a, that's not a, I'm, I'm not pro- promoting element because they haven't renewed their contract with me in 2024 yet, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Um, it's actually, uh, I did a podcast with a guy named Jeff Smith who owns Colorado craft beef. And what he's trying to do is direct to consumer yeah, beef. That's it. And it's a, it's a pretty fat. I mean, and here's the thing you're going to have to pay for it a little more expensive but then you're supporting a rancher as opposed to costco right and he came out and did the podcast and i and i didn't i bought meat from him he didn't give it to me as like hey you're a bro i'm doing your show i said no let me pay you like i'm I'm supporting your business and uh that's what i had two of his flat iron steaks and i don't know what it is but the meat that comes out of that that ranch is hands down the best steak I've ever had. Yeah? Yeah, it's legit. Dude. So when you did you buy like a quarter cow or an eighth of a cow? Oh, no, no, no. I just, I literally bought like a couple ribeyes, a couple flat irons, some ground beef, and a couple tri-tips, you know? I, my family and I have been had been buying eighth eighths of a cow for a couple of years, and my my cousin's a rancher in Kennewick. Um, shout out to Griffin Hanberg at Hamburg Ranches. And it, it, tastes, it tastes so different from store-bought meat it is it is i mean we know about regenerative farming and whether it's grass-fed or not even if it's grain-fed or even grain finished like it it doesn't it it doesn't even taste like beef it's no a, it's got an it's, it has a different maybe you can describe it better than no I, I mean i don't think that i can because i literally i uh, was the day before yesterday i cooked one of his tri-tips and i just told jenny I said come over here and, and take a bite of this and I love like the tri-tips that I get from Costco. Those are one of my like main food sources. I'll cook a full tri-tip and it'll last me usually like a day and a half. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had one of Jeff's and I was like, this is a different thing. Just yeah. come over here, you know, just more flavorful. The, the meat is, uh, maybe a little more tender. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but it's, it's delicious. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe it's the freshness, maybe it's the way it was slaughtered. Maybe it's the way it was processed. That's a, Yeah. That's a, a good point too. Like yeah. the way that the animals killed is can affect how the hormones dump and then how they transfer into the meat and affect right. the flavor. So, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and Jeff told me too, because he said a lot of people are like grass fed, grass finishes the way to go. Right. And he's like, I'm not here to, say be necessarily a proponent of one way or the other but my ranch is in colorado and 
there is a certain amount of time throughout the year that the cattle aren't grazing on the mountainside because it's under six feet of snow. Mm. He goes, so, and, they, and they've had this ranch in their family for like a hundred years or something. And he's like, there's a period of time when the cows are indoors and we have to supplement food. And that's just how we've always done it. And uh, he said like, you got to be very careful on that, just like you do with the label organic, sure. because it's becoming more of a fad as yeah. opposed to something that is that is based in nutritional fact. Right. But because the fad's becoming a big deal, people are starting to skirt the edges. It's just like they'll say cage free, but the the amount of space that the the chicken is not in a cage is a quarter of the size of this table. Yeah. Right. It's like well. The, that's kind of a cage, right? Yeah, right. yeah. You get about you know if you eat a chicken that's been in a bathtub instead of a cage, exactly right. right. Where, but when you say the term "cage free," you think it's out running in a field eating worms and bugs. You know, not the case. And so, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty interesting episode. So, so you, so you're you're in injury recovery. It just happens to be World Carnivore Month, and your friend Dr. Sean Baker trains here. He's traveling. Like this is like an important part of the year, yeah. right? So he's, so I'll tell you this. I, after the surgery, so I had a, a left inguinal hernia and it was presenting for a very long time and it would pop out and I just push it back in and keep training and pop out and push it back in. And it was weird and, and unsettling, but it wasn't very painful. And I talked to some of my friends that are physicians and they're like, well, it's not super dangerous as long as it doesn't fully like push through the abdominal wall. So I just kind of toughed it out for a long time. Then it started getting painful. How, how long did you tough it out for? About six months. Damn. Yeah. And I was doing squats one day and it popped out. And the best way I could describe it is if you took like a softball and cut it in half and just put it on your abdomen. Whoa. It looked like that. And I was like, okay, it's, it's time to fix this, you know? And so I had the surgery, which I'll, I'll get into in a minute. Cause it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing that I think people need to hear because it's a common injury, right? Especially in athletes and people that train and whatnot. But uh, post-surgery, the doctor told me, zero working out for the first four weeks, other than walking and you can lift up to 20 pounds. So I bought some 10 pound dumbbells and was doing flies and stuff, but it's hard to really get after it with, the, with that prescription of training, right? Yeah. And then from basically last week because now i'm five weeks post-op i got the green light to start training again so now i'm and i'm, I'm obviously i'm not just full bore yet i'm not going to do jujitsu for another month but that first four weeks i was like if i can't train i could still diet right i could still diet and eat super clean and kind of take this as an opportunity to get shredded right yeah. that, that was what i was thinking uh-huh. and i was like because then if i can't train I don't want to put on fat. So let's just, I have like this bodybuilding workout plan and diet that I'll put myself through sometimes. I was like, I'm just going to follow that plan and get shredded. Yeah. And I talked to Sean who, again, Sean Baker, who is a jiu-jitsu student of mine. He's also an orthopedic surgeon. And he goes, Greg, the last thing you want to be in post-op is a caloric deficit. Ah. He's like, that's a terrible thing to do to your body. Because you're healing. Exactly. He goes, you absolutely need to be in a caloric surplus. Don't even worry about trying to lose fat or how you look. Your body wants, your body deserves to have every last calorie it needs to repair your insides. And so I was like, okay. That was obviously a backwards way of thinking. Because as soon as he said that, it makes perfect sense. Totally. Right? Yeah. And so I really ate 
not a bunch of unhealthy shit, but as much as I wanted. I was like, this is a green light. Uh, and it was December. It was the like, holidays. Like, like what though? I mean, it's not, you're not sitting and eating a dozen cookies, right? I, I did a couple oh, times. Did? <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me. Good for you. You know, it was the holidays and it's like, you know what? This is the one time in my life I'm laid up. I was told to be in a caloric surplus. The daughters are baking pumpkin pies and all. I was like, you know what? Let's just go. Awesome. And I, I did. I went kind of hard. And then January 1st, cleaned it all up 100%. And right now I'm eating meat and fruit only. Okay. And okay. salads. I'll eat meat, vegetables, fruit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Are you taking any, are you taking supplements? Are you taking gel, you know, gelatin or bone broth? No. I mean, I take, I take a lot of stuff just because. Yeah. Well, I'm sponsored by First Form, so yeah. I get it all for free. You Speaking know? of First Form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Screaming Freedom energy drink. But no, I take like the First Form collagen, and then I take their their daily microfactor and just a handful of other things, their fish oil and whatnot, but nothing too crazy. Okay. I'm curious. Yeah, I was, I was curious about the way that you, because I know you well enough, and I think the listeners who listened to the first episode or anybody that just, you know, decided, Hey, I'm going to follow this guy and see what he's all about. Like you're, you've got insane discipline and you've got account of self accountability. And so I was kind of curious. It, I, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're not faking the funk. You're telling me like you had some fun. Well, and bro, and, and my physique re reflects that, you know what I'm saying? And like, that's why I, I got my ice tub this morning and I was like, I'm, I'm still a post-op fatty, but we'll take care of that. <laughs> And here's the funny thing, because I had some people comment, they're like, I wish I was that fat. And it's like, yeah, but it's all relative to your norm right. and your baseline, right? But what I was going to say, like before we started recording, once you have figured out the path to get your physique to where you want it, and I've done this lots of times now, there's no, there's not like an element of fear or uncertainty around embarking on a nutrition and workout program. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people that have struggled to find the recipe of success, they're constantly worried, like, is this going to work? What's the results going to be? Or, or, you know, like I put in all this time and energy, but then I still am not happy with what I look like. There's a lot of uncertainty in nutrition and, and working out. But once you find something that works for you and, and you've done it a few times and it's like, okay, hey, I'm going to Mexico in 10 weeks. Let's go. Yeah. And you just get to the point where you look like a men's health cover model, right? And it's like, God, I got it. Yeah. Like I finally figured out the formula. And so because I've done that enough times in my adult life, no big deal. You know what I mean? We'll make it happen. Yeah, that's that's a great point because I, I think I, I speak for myself and I think for a lot, a lot of other people who are into nootropics and biohacking and stuff like that is is they I think a lot of people think that they can sort of supplement their way into the physique that they want uh, you know yes. if, I, if i cut this or i modify this and the thing is is like you you have to conduct experiments you have to do end of one experience like you you may you may need some carbs like you may you may do okay with with some rice or potatoes because that's going to fuel your workout and, and change your physique over time so here I'll sh let me just show you a couple of pictures because it's i was just having this conversation with jenny because now that I'm healthy, I'm like, what path am I going to take to get the physique back that I want? Yeah. Right now, this was after 75 hard, right? Very, very lean. Yeah. But dude, I did like kind of skinny too, right? Like for me, I felt kind of skinny, but I liked how I looked. I mean, but sir, I was very, very lean. Very lean. And the, um, I, for 75 days, I ate nothing 
but steak and apples. That's it. Period. Oh, that's how you did it? That's it. That was your 75 hard diet? That was my 75 hard diet that I prescribed for myself. I said, I want a good carbohydrate source and I want a good protein source. Those two foods and eggs, three foods I allowed. Holy cow. So three foods that I allowed, steak, apple, eggs, and I drank water and I would allow myself to put element in it. And that's all I consumed. Now... And I was, again, that was before our you're, annual trip to Mexico. You're probably 9% body fat there. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. That was last year. This year before going to Mexico, I hired a bodybuilder personal trainer. Nice. And I said, hey, you got, I'm going to Mexico in eight weeks. What can you do for me? Yeah. And bro, he had me eating. So he had me eating um, like 400 grams of carbohydrates one day and then 19 the next so going back and forth ah. to really keep my metabolism ramped up and uh bro at the end of it i was much more muscular and filled out oh wow i mean a different a, a very different look too. not quite as shredded but a lot more filled out and yeah. way fucking stronger yeah right and and bro i was eating um two or 200 grams of rice twice a day every other day does that make sense? Yeah. So, and so the, here's the thing that I learned from that. It's like, I can go strict carnivore and I can get the results that I want. When I was on carnivore, I measured nothing. Just if I'm hungry, I'm eating. If I'm full, I'm not eating. And that's a very easy protocol for a lot of people to yeah, follow. Right. With the bodybuilder, every bite of food that went in my mouth had to go on the scale first. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be something that's cool as like an eight week experiment, but that's not a sustainable lifestyle for most people. Today's episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. You've probably heard me talk about it because I've been taking it for a couple of years and I absolutely love it. It is by far the most impactful supplement I've ever taken and I've experimented with hundreds and hundreds of different supplements. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging hormone treatments. It's a unique combination of ingredients taken daily in the morning under the tongue to help literally everything. I'm talking about better sleep, faster metabolism, better muscle growth, increased libido, better mood. I can't tell you how effective this product is. And here's the thing, for guys over 35, our hormones and our ability to create growth hormone plummet. They start to decline very rapidly, especially if you're stressed out or you have a busy life. And what I have suggested to many of my clients and you, dear listener, is to wait. Wait before you go on TRT. Wait before you go do a thousand injectable peptides and try this product first. It is absolutely phenomenal. All you have to do is go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off or click on the show notes and take me up on this offer. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from clients that wish that they had found this years ago. Bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. No, you know. No. Well, and, and I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the, the attraction to carnivore is that you're just cutting out processed stuff and you're... You're making you're making it simple and straightforward, and the people that gravitate towards that often are gravitating towards that because they have IBS or fibromyalgia yes. or you know hypertension, and they just need to they it's like they're out of ideas, so we just got to do carnivore. Well, and bro, Sean, have you met Sean or talked to him at all here? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's the first to tell you. Listen, there's a good chance 
that the carnivore diet is so successful is because of exactly what you just said. Yeah. We're cutting out boxed cereals, high fructose corn syrup, like pretty much everything in the grocery store that's not in a refrigerated section. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he goes, because there's a lot of people that go like whole foods that have very similar results. You know, he goes, for me, I just, I just don't find a benefit in eating apples. He goes, but you do. Mm. And is it, as long as you look good and you feel good for me as a physician, like those are the two metrics that we look at to see if your diet is working well or not for you. Yeah. So he goes, I honestly think a big part of carnivore is exactly like you said, it forces people to say, I'm eating nothing but whole foods that are natural. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If everybody did that, you'd get results. Exactly. Dude. Yeah. And, and he'll even say like a lot of people that switch to like a full plant-based vegan diet, for a period of time, sure. they get substantially healthier because for that same reason, they're eating what fucking the world or the, the mother nature provides for us, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, but then he says, I think I forget. It's like the three or four year mark on a vegetarian or vegan diet is when you start to notice certain mineral deficiencies from having zero animal proteins. Mm. And then that's when the wheels start to fall off. Yeah. And there's probably people screaming at me right now. You know, <laughs> without what else is new? <laughs> yeah. Here, here's the thing though. It's like at the end of the day, my brother-in-law has been vegan for a long time and he, he crossfits all the time and, and he's a good athlete. However, I'm going to say this, right. And I don't know if this is, um, I, I don't even know if I should be repeating this because I've, this is something that was told to me. I didn't do the research. But a lot of vegan protein sources, I guess, have algae. Right. And algae is actually not a plant. It's a microorganism. Uh-huh. So okay. Okay. you are eating an animal. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that coming. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> the, the plight the plight of the algae. Yeah. But oh. because of that, it does have some some different structures of amino acids as opposed to pl actual plants. Right. You oh, know, that's funny. Oh man. Hardcore. And here's the other thing I think about. It's like, okay, if you don't want to eat meat for ethical reasons, to tell you the truth, like I, I can understand where you come from with that. Like I'm a hunter. I've killed last two deer seasons. I've got one deer each season. I don't like putting an arrow through a deer. I'm here to tell you it's, Man, it's like I'm an I'm an animal lover, and I see this animal out in the in the wild, and I put an arrow through it, and it feels kind of heavy. But I think it's supposed to. Yeah, I think that's the relationship we're supposed to have with our food. Like, hey, this is the circle of life, and this beautiful creature that was just in front of you, you took its life. Yeah, and I think we're supposed to have an emotional response to that, and I think that that connects us with our food, and so that's the reason that I do it. I also believe in our lifetime, we're going to see civil unrest and, and apocalyptic times. And if you don't know how to kill and harvest an animal and you are the leader of a family, you are selling your family short. Yeah. But when you, when you take an animal's life and you have that relationship to your food, I think it's, I think it's natural. I think it's healthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But if you are averse to that, I can also respect that because man, it, it is a thing. It's, it's very different than buying your steak from Safeway. Yeah. But at what point, is an animal's life hold value and at what point doesn't it going all the way from algae to a bull elk and everything in between 
it's just a weird little little scale that you have to kind of figure out where you land on. Well, it's mental gymnastics all the way down, you know. Um, the idea that that going vegan or vegetarian and as a way to like protect animals forgets the fact that the soy that you're eating is just decimating every frog, every shrew, every field mouse that's churning up the soil. Just like just these, you know, these combinators that are just like yeah. trashing thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe more of, of animals to make your soy protein versus an elk that has one bad day. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think, I think it's an interesting thing. And, and, and again, I'm not, no, there's no judgment. You can, you can eat whatever you want, but I think there is an, an import on simplifying and having a connection to the food that you're eating. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I don't hunt, um, but I love to fish. And if you get squirmy, you know, pulling a fish out of the water and plunking it on the head and then cleaning it and gutting it. And you can't do that. Uh, you're going to be in trouble when you really need to eat. That's right. When shit hits the fan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the words of tool life eats life Yeah. or life lives on life, you know? And it's like, there is no way around that. Yeah. And you want to take it a step further it's starting to look like you know, put on our fucking crazy hats. Here we go. Plants have consciousness. Like they've found that mother plants can identify their specific offspring in the forest and send them nutrients through the mycelium network. So wrap your head around that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the mycelium, <clears throat> I'm on board with the mycelium thing. I didn't know the mother plant seedling thing. Yes. Whoa. So if, if, a, if a seedling falls in an area that has like a, a more depleted uh, nutrients in the soil or it's like in a bad area for sun or something, the mom plant, the mother tree can identify that and help her offspring out. Whoa. So there's the, the, the plant and animal kingdom is connected in a way that, more than we understand, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, we might find out that fucking like trees may actually have like, like, cause if you can protect your own child, I don't know if you can call it like a consciousness or a thought process, but there's something pretty powerful going on and we're making our houses out of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, again, like my house is made of wood. I'm not saying that it's a problem, it's the, it's the cycle of life, but fuck, man. At, at what point, if, if you're unwilling to take from nature in a, in a manner to sustain you and your family, then you're going to fucking starve and freeze to death. So yeah. what is right and what is wrong? That's for you as an individual to figure out. Well, that's when you become a breatharian. Just, <laughs> yeah. just, just eating and swallowing the sun and, and the air. It's like that. Uh, I, watched, I watched that movie, uh, The Society of Snow. Oh, bro. Good. So do you remember the, the movie Alive? From, oh, yeah. Okay. They redid it. Oh, that's right. And that's it came right. out last week. Oh. And uh, those people made the decision to eat their teammates yeah. to sustain life. Right. And, and it's strange that like when that story happened, obviously it was, it was before my time, but Alive, the movie came out when I was 13. Yeah. And I remember people like being averse to that and being judgmental. And it's it's the same thing, man. It's like, if you and I are out on a fucking glacier and one of us dies, okay, you do what you need to do. Yeah. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Yeah, you can carve up my ass cheeks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that means you're going to live. And dude, and they said, they said initially it was like this, this 
super tough moral dilemma to, to do that to their teammates. Mm. But by the, by the end of it, they're like, we're picking meat off the ribs. Yeah. It's just, Hey, th- oh. this is what we do out here. Now. I remember seeing that as a kid and just being, and just, and it struck by that dilemma. Just, I, I remember like, I remember it so clearly we sat around as a family, me and my brother and mom and dad and watched that. It blew my mind. What is a Colombian soccer team or Ecuadorian soccer team? Um, they, I think they were from, they're from Uruguay. Uh-huh. And I think they're flying to Chile. But yeah, they were in the Andes Mountains, north of 15,000 feet. That's higher than the summit of Mount Rainier. Damn. You know? And bro, for me, like, dude, I was crying by the end of that. Because it's like, yeah, okay, they ate their teammates. To me, that's not the story. That's something that they had to do for survival. But two of those guys said, listen, we have two options. Sit here and fucking starve to death, yeah. which is we've been here 75 days and that's what's happening. And, and dude, they lost like 12 more people after the wreck from different ailments and starvation and stuff. So these two studs said, hey, we're just going to start walking that way. It's probably certain death, but we feel like that's probably a better option than sitting here and dying anyways. Right. And bro, they walked for fucking 12 days and that's how they got rescued. Wow. They made it back to civilization and said, these are where our friends are at. And bro, I was like, I was tearing up. Cause it's like, dude, imagine finding yourself in a situation where you're like, I am going to go embark on a journey. That's certain death for the, for all intents and purposes. We have no idea where we're at but I'm going to do it for my brothers. And it's mm. like, that's like the essence of the human spirit. You yeah. Know? Wow. I, I forgot. I had forgotten that that was, that that's how they got saved. I, I just remember being affected by it. Yeah. Well, time to watch, time to watch that. You'll like it, bro. And it's in Spanish. So you can watch it in Spanish with uh, uh, English subtitles, or they've also done a version of it where they dubbed English in. Yeah. So it's just, I know that dubbed stuff bothers some people. I don't mind it. I don't mind it either. That's the one that I watched. I can, I can let go of, I can let go of that. Like I watched a, a, a dark, uh, it's a series. It's like time travel and it's German and it's dubbed and it's dubbed really well, but yeah, who cares? It's like squid games. Yeah. 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 yeah, Get in with the story. Okay. Well, I have, I have literally 20 questions. (laughs) Fuck. Let's (laughs) go. I've only, I've only hinted at one of them. So, um, there's, there's so many different things here. Uh, so we got, we got, we got the, what have you put in your body today? I want to kind of put a bow on that for a little bit. So, so your dietary approach to post-surgery recovery, is it, is it really focused or is it sort of like intuitive? You know, you're eating steak and eggs today, but like, I'm really just going back to what I've eaten in the past when I feel like I'm the best athlete. Oh, that's smart. Like when I'm performing the best on the jujitsu mats, cause I've went full carnivore before and dude, I don't roll as well. Yeah. And I've noticed like there are like, I feel like my energy is slightly depleted when I a hundred percent cut out all carbohydrates. And so playing with it and i found that if i add fruit in that it takes that edge off and my energy levels are back but i can still get very lean and i remember uh, i i believe it was lee priest it was an old school famous bodybuilder he goes if you can show me the person that got fat on apples i'll stop eating apples (laughs) and bro that's that quote stuck with me because it's the truth nobody in america that is obese is obese because they're eating too many apples right you know 
I heard uh, there's a there's a um, a health uh, health sovereignty expert. Uh, so it's called Green Med Info, and this guy Sayer G, who was one of the disinformation dozen during the COVID years, just like this juggernaut for for natural health content, uh, wrote a book recently. He was on, I think he was with Ben Greenfield or something, maybe a couple of years ago, and he was talking about the apple specifically and the fact that it's a Taurus. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's an, inf- it's an infinite shape. So it comes out of the middle and wraps around and comes back up the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's what they suggest that like the universe is a Taurus as well. Cause it's just like this, um, this infinite cycle of, uh, th- this, this like, profound shape. And he was talking, I mean, there's the biblical connotations of the apple, but apparently the apple is like this divine food that you didn't even know you I did. did. You I didn't just intuitively know. went with that. Just knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, an apple is roughly 25 carbohydrates, right? 25 grams of sugar, but it's also sugar that's intertwined with fiber and it's yeah. a natural source of sugar. But dude, you could... Even when I was starving, like, dude, I'm really fucking hungry today. Very rarely am I eating more than four or five apples. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a hundred carbohydrates. That's two sodas. Yeah, right. Which people usually consume by 10 a.m. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. Yeah, that's good for context. Uh, so again, we're going to jump around because that's what I like to do. Um, the, one of the questions that I have, which was that was I was sitting down writing these out beforehand, which. You know, talking about pushing too hard, talking about pushing too hard and pushing so hard that your intestines are coming through your abdominal wall. Um, I'm curious your take on what makes people successful at overcoming their themselves. I'm talking about fear, pain, depression, anxiety. And you've spoken openly about, you know, your mental health. I know you're writing a book about this and 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 you can speak to your own experience, but you are also surrounded by people who are overcoming adversity and pain. They're overcoming um, uh, discomfort day in, day out in the gym, both, you know, doing CrossFit and also rolling jujitsu. Um, so the, so part one of the question is what makes, what makes people successful at overcoming fear, pain, depression, anxiety, the sort of human experience, and how can you know when you've pushed too hard? Oh, it's a lot to unpack. I know. So I would say overcoming Fear, pain, depression, and anxiety are almost start to become different questions, right? Mm -hmm. Because overcoming depression and anxiety probably requires a lot of pain. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, For me personally, and again, you know, for, uh, I don't even know if I talked about it on the last episode I did your show, but I did a lot of combat tours. I did 14 deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan between... 2001 and 2009. So my whole youth, all of my twenties was spent at the war and I didn't have like these massive PTSD issues. Like a lot of my friends did, but it got me for a little while. It did. And, uh, I would honestly say there's kind of like a three tiered approach that I try and like preach to my team and that I, I share on my podcast. The, the biggest thing that you need to overcome that depression that's just like a monkey on your back. And, it, and dude, it got to me for a while where I was like, I think you're better off just eating your Glock. Like it was fucking dark because you can't shake it. It, it feels like you're dragging a weight 24-7. But the key to overcoming that is when you look in the mirror, you have to see somebody that you like. Mm. 
And I think that that has to become somebody that you like physically. Like if you look at your physical body and you're ashamed of yourself, man, it's a dark place to, to work, to wake up to every single day. You look at who you are in the mirror and you tell yourself, that's not who I want to be. So right out of the gates, you're, 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 you're kind of behind the power curve, you know? But the other thing, when you look at that person in the mirror, like, are you proud of the person that they are? and the person that you have become and the person that you are currently inhabiting. And for me, the, the, the two mechanisms to become someone that I was proud of was human interaction and physical fitness. Those two things. Mm. If you are not interacting with other people, I think we are missing an opportunity to touch like a primal need. Like we are prime, we are tribal creatures by nature human touch and physical contact has been a part of our experience since the beginning of mankind. It's kind of gone now mm. outside of yesterday, yeah, maybe hug your wife or your kids. But I honestly think that is why jujitsu is taking off to the level that it is. Cause dude, we are putting our hands on each other yeah. and we are simultaneously working our bodies so we're getting that hormonal dump. We're getting those endorphins. We're, and we're also problem solving. Jiu-Jitsu, I always say Jiu-Jitsu is like sprinting and playing chess at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of activities can mirror fighting because fighting requires you to think at the highest level and work your body at the highest level while simultaneously not thinking about one other thing in life. When you're getting choked, you're not like, oh, fuck, I forgot to buy diapers tonight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so for me, the way out of that dark place was to stay physically active and be around people. And what is depression? Have, I forget. Have you ever went through bouts of depression that are? I, I really haven't. Okay. Yeah, so honestly. for me and talking to a lot of people, what does depression want to make you do? It makes you want to sit in bed. Mm. It makes you want to not get up and do the things that you normally like to do. When I'm feeling depressed... I literally am like, fuck jujitsu. Fuck going and seeing my friends. Fuck recording an episode of my podcast. But it's this weird like mechanism in your brain that's like, hey, you're starting to kind of go down. Let's get the hooks in and drag you down deeper. Because that's actually the antidote. You, you go to the gym, you slap and bump, you do a couple rounds, you move your body, you hang out with people that are important to you. And that starts to alleviate the depression almost fucking instantly. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what I said about getting physically fit. Once you've done it a few times and you've, you've learned that cycle, it's the same thing with depression because I'm not immune to it. You know, there's still times when it's like, man, I just feel off. What is going on? I know what I got to do. I got to get up. I got to get to the gym. I got to hang around my people. And it literally is like a reset. But if you don't understand that cycle and you wake up and you feel shitty and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to lay in bed today. I'm going to let this feeling win. Mm. I promise you when you wake up the next day, you're not better. You're worse. Yeah. You know, right. or another thing, jump in the fucking cold water. Yeah. When you climb out of your ice barrel, when have, have you ever felt sadness climbing out of the ice barrel? No, I feel sadness every day. I get in <laughs> yeah, the ice that's barrel. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you climb out, it's the opposite. Absolutely. And it's like, if you're having a fucking bad day, make it a little worse for a second or two and then climb out of that ice barrel and you're a fucking rock star, dude. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, that you've, you've driven so many like little tidbits there. So the, liking yourself, looking in the mirror and finding a way to like yourself. I think that's so, so important. And I think, I think it's a very natural progression. And I always speak to men because the majority of my audience is men and I've, I've lived the path as a man, you know, but it probably applies to all humans. But I think in our 20s and our early 30s, like it's it's natural to be uncertain of who you are. Sure. It's natural to feel lost or struggle to find a tribe of people that you fit in with. Like I think all that stuff is natural. I don't think that's a bad thing. But I know guys that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and even like some guys in their 60s that'll contact me since I've blown up uh, or I've created like a pretty big social media. I get I get feedback from all kinds of different people. And dude, there's people that are 58 years old that, never settled in and found a group of people that mean something to them mm. never settled in and found like a passion or a routine and it's like your 20s i always say like i feel like you got to be a worker bee you got to be on the grind that's just part of building an empire right you can't just wake up at 40 and then okay cool we're here there's a process to get there and that process can be pretty uncomfortable but through that process you have to discover what fucking makes you tick what you're passionate about, what type of people you you strive to be around and then start building a path towards that as opposed, cause dude, if you don't work to earn that, those people aren't just going to show up at your fucking right. door one day. Right. You have to seek them out. Right. And you know, there's, you, you hear people say like the sayings all the time. Like if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. The same thing with jujitsu. Like if you're the, if you're the hardest role in the room, you need to find a new mat room. Yeah. And that's because the people that you keep company with are going to do one of two things. They're going to lift you up or they're going to tear you down. And so I think it's imperative that you have to seek that out. And the sooner you do that, the sooner you can get on that path to being proud of who you are, because it's hard to be proud of who you are alone. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a truth that I've landed on. Totally, totally true. I, I have a number of friends who are former professional athletes uh, in here in Seattle and that void that's left when they retire is devastating. Bro, it's it, identical to soldiers. Right. Gotta be right. Yep, Cause I mean, I've, I've, I've heard that same thing with fighters. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got some place to be, you've got some place to go. You're talking shit in the locker room. You're making jokes. You get the juice from performing, you know, um, whether you're playing soccer or football, you're, you're part of a community. Um, you're, and it, and it feels like it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you're, you have a purpose, mm -hmm. you have a purpose. And, and, and I think that, I think that lack of purpose is, and this is my experience as, as a coach working with, with high level people who are in a funk and helping them move through that is what is your purpose? Are you doing things to fulfill your purpose? And most people will say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. And that's okay. But that la that void that you have where you're like, what am I getting up today to do? Am I getting up today to do my job, which I don't fucking like anyway? Am I finding purpose as a father or as a brother or as a member of your church? Like that, that's what fuels that ability to, to continue to grow and push yourself. And when then that's gone, yeah. I mean, like the next day these guys are lost. Mm -hmm. They're lost. And you know, I've done some work with the major league soccer players association and not, a, it's not just their career. Cause it's like, well, fuck, what am I going to do now? I've been a, I've been a, I've been a soccer stud 
since I was, you know, seven years old. Yeah. I'm 28 and I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know. I don't have purpose. I don't have community. And it, and it hits hard. And see, I think, uh, and, and this was something that I struggled with is like that purpose. When, when you come from something that feels important and say you're a professional soccer player and you're filling stadiums of people and you hear the crowd roar and it like gives you that fucking rush, right? And then you retire or, hey, you're getting too old. You didn't make the cut this year, whatever it is. All of a sudden you wake up, you don't have that purpose. It's very unlikely that your next purpose is going to fill the shoes of your previous purpose. And I think that that's where soldiers and professional athletes or musicians, like people that, that went hard right out of the gates and is like lived a life that felt very powerful and meaningful. You take a step back and now you took the, the night shift at home Depot and you're stocking shelves. And that's not a dig at that. Like if that's the job that you do, that's awesome. Right. If you're happy with that, but for a lot of people that are in those that those positions, they feel like they, they regressed and now they're ashamed, Yeah. right? Your purpose doesn't have to be curing cancer. Your purpose can be, hey, I'm going to make it to jiu-jitsu four nights a week. Yes. Assign a purpose that you think is obtainable, something that's reasonable, and then build off of that. Yeah. But if you just sit in bed and say, I'm not what I used to be, I don't have a purpose anymore, like literally map out a purpose. Say, you know what? I am going to accomplish X, Y, and Z in this amount of time, and this is what that path looks like. I always use jujitsu as my metaphors because that's been my journey for 20 years, and that's what I do with my life now. But it doesn't have to be jujitsu. Like, what is your purpose? You even mentioned it. Like, dude, okay, my church or my family, like, any human being can sit down and be like, what could I do to make myself feel better? What are some things that I could do? What, you know, in relation to your family or your friends or your church or your team, everybody could come up with a couple things. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people think that their purpose has to be their career. And, and I've, again, <clears throat> I've experienced this a lot with people is it's very rare where someone has made their career part of their purpose, right? A hundred percent. It's very rare. And those people are entrepreneurs, they're business leaders, they're, they're absolutely on their mission. They have a vision, they're executing toward it. They're bringing people with them. They're, they're bring they're they're filling some need. They're bringing value into the world, but it doesn't have to be your job. Your purpose can be your family. Your purpose can be, um, um, volunteering your time. Your purpose can be just being a good neighbor or having people to your home. And, and I think it's an important point that's, that's lost on a lot of people. Maybe your purpose is just being, uh, being alive and living a long time, living, a living a long life yeah, and contributing in some way that, that maybe doesn't have anything to do with how you make your money. Well, and I can tell people this too, because, uh, you know, you always hear people say phrases like do something you love and you never work a day in your life. Right. And that's cool. And there's, I'm to a point in my life now where I feel like I've arrived there, mm. right? Because I make a good living teaching people jujitsu. And it's pretty, it's pretty incredible that I've finally been able to get here. But I'll tell you this, my, my academy that we're sitting in right now, it really didn't make me a cent for the first 
seven, eight years it was open. Really? Like we were in the red a lot. It was more, it was basically for the majority of the time the academy was open, it was sustaining life. Wasn't really losing money, wasn't really making money. And for a while I was content with that. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm existing in a place doing what I love. But what I found is the, uh, the downside of that is if you attach your passion to paying your mortgage, bro, then your passion just, you just stacked a lot of stressful expectations on something that you love. Mm-hmm. And me and jujitsu had a falling out for a while. And I started to kind of feel like, fuck jujitsu, man. Like I have all these people telling me that they want to train. I have all these people telling me that they can't wait to be part of the gym. And as you know, most of those people fall through and the team just wasn't growing into what I envisioned it growing. And I became frustrated and it got to the point where like I was going in debt, I was borrowing money and you want to talk about depression, financial stress on top of that compounds it. At least it did in it with me and my family. And it took a long time to kind of dig my way out of there. And I, I started to allow the stresses of life. Jiu-jitsu was part of those now. When f- what I always preach and what I always want people to believe is that it should be a tool to get out of that. And I'm like, fuck, I gotta go open the gym. There's four people on the mats today. And like, I shouldn't care if there's four people or 40. Like my passion to give jujitsu to the people that are here shouldn't change. But as soon as it's like, dude, there's only four people here today. This ain't going to fuck. How the fuck am I supposed to buy food? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but it was a life lesson for me because it took a long time for this gym to grow into what it is now. And bro, you're not supposed to have success overnight at stuff. Yeah. It's supposed to be a long, arduous journey. Yeah. You know? And now we have, as of today, we have 229 students. And it's like, the gym now is making enough money to really invest back into the gym. And its growth is becoming exponential. Mm. And it's pretty cool to finally see happening, you know? Yeah. 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 I think, I think there's, there's, there's so much wisdom in that. And and thinking about people who maybe don't have jujitsu or maybe don't have a CrossFit gym that they, that they're passionate about or that they go to, like, it's worth your time to figure out what your thing is. Yeah. It's like, it's, it might be everything is finding what your thing is. Well, and you're not going to find your thing sitting at home playing fucking video games. Right. You know, I I shouldn't say that there's, there's plenty of people that make way more money than I do (laughs) playing video games. Right. But in general, when I say that is it's like one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is in life is when my social media blew up in 2020 and I started making a lot of contacts and I started just getting like a lot of random invitations from people, you know, Andy Stumpf, Hey bro, you want to come and do an episode of cleared hot? Well, I'd have to drive to Kalispell and that's going to be three days. And you know what? For that year, I decided I'm going to jump at every opportunity that opens up. Yeah. And bro, it's like I went on a, a, a tour around the nation and I went and hung out with Andy Stump and did jujitsu with him and did his podcast. And that was the first one. And then the black rifle guys, Hey, you want to come down to black rifle and do, and hang out with us? And like, and I started to make all of these connections and make all of these friendships at first form. Hey, you want to come down to first form headquarters and jump on Andy's podcast? And it's like, 
and I'm sure you've noticed this in the podcasting space, the more you put yourself out there, yeah. the more opportunities that open up. Right. And isn't that just true in life in general? Oh yeah. I, I tell this, you know, from a, from a professional setting, always accept a coffee invitation. Yes. Always like you're, we're all busy. We've all got shit to do. We've all got things that we would prefer to do. You know, we want to go, go home and sit on the couch, of course, but especially in the professional world, if someone wants to invite you to go get a coffee, you have no idea what's going to come out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. That might be a business offer. That might be a job offer. That might be a brand new friend. That might be, you know, the first step on a journey toward, you know, some, some greater purpose in your life. And I always, I, even if, and, and this is, this has come up a couple of times. And for me personally too, like when I decided that I was going to open the float centers, Back in 2012, uh, a few years before that, when I was uh, slang and advertising uh, for the radio, I was an account executive, ESPN radio, uh, their sales manager called me and said, Hey, you know, I want to go get a coffee. And I was loyal to the, to the company I was working with. I worked at KSW. It was fun. You know, it was cool. I was going to fucking rock shows like three nights a week and happy hours. But I was like, okay, I'll go get a coffee with this guy. And and he offered me a job and he's like, name your number. Like, what is it going to take? And eventually I made the jump over there and that's what funded the float center. Like I squirreled away all of that money from that transition from one radio gig to the other. Yeah. And that's what enabled the, like, that's what totally changed the trajectory, trajectory of my life as an entrepreneur and then into the podcast and into coaching and stuff. And so, you know, just accept invitations cause you never know what's going to come. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when I started getting into the podcasting space and doing more and more shows and seeing more and more opportunities open up, what I started realizing, it's like, obviously you can't do every show you get asked to do. It gets, it just time is a thing. Right. But I remember I was like, you know, I'm going to do like three shows a week and I'm not going to pick them. I'm not going to choose them based on like how many followers the guy has. I'm just going to listen to my intuition. I'm going to look through a couple of their pictures and I'm going to say, this guy seems like we would have a good conversation or we wouldn't. And I did lots of shows with people that have 350 followers. Nice. Right. Yeah. And a lot of opportunity came in, in strange places, uh-huh. you know, because it doesn't matter if it's the Joe Rogan show or if it's a guy that gets, you know, 1500 downloads a year. If the right person hears you. Yeah. Boom. Right. There's the opportunity that just opened up. I, I've done some weird fucking podcasts. I've done, <laughs> I'm just thinking as, you, as I'm hearing you describe that, like I've done, I've done so many bizarre little podcasts. <laughs> so I, man. Like so strange. Like, and some of them are like, I mean, I did one where the guy was just like, he's being combative with me. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, you want to like, are you? And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, dude, I don't sit down with people or in this case it was on zoom. And like, don't get me wrong, man. Like I would, we've become friends over the last year through sitting down and training together and podcasting. If you wanted to challenge me on something as a friend, that's cool. Right. If you wanted to challenge my beliefs in order to make me think or maybe grow from it also cool, but it's being argumentative is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I'm like, what, what, what are we talking about? Like yeah. what, why, why are we why are you trying to be argumentative? You know, well, I just want, you know, blah, 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 I heard you say this one time and I, I and it's like, ugh. <laughs> and, and, and bro, that's why I don't do, uh, there was a few times I did like network television stuff 
I did Fox News one night. I also did some local channel stuff with uh, like, I think it was Como 4 or King 5. And bro, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, little sound bite. Hey, make you feel a certain way. All right, break for commercial. And I just remember thinking like, ugh. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the only way to really convey messages and share ideas is doing what we're doing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? and, and everybody's understanding that now. May I? My, yeah, go ahead. Finally, I mean, the, 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 the longer format stuff is everything, you know, the, the little gotcha soundbite stuff, you know, that's, that's going away in pretty short order. You know, when you rely on, well, we, I could, I got more questions. Okay. Let's I, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, how long are your shows typically? Typically they're an hour, but okay. we're going to, we're going to blow right through that. Um, and we got, we got the time for it. So, um, oh, so many good things. Okay. Um, how do you think of uh, vices, uh, alcohol, cannabis, gambling? Like, yeah. another good question. Yeah. Especially considering where I'm at right now. And so, I think um, I think a certain amount of vices are not only okay, but I think they're good for you. I think at the end of the day, if you've earned the ability to relax and take a couple puffs off a joint and it makes your body feel relaxed and it puts your mind in a place where you feel calm. And like, I feel like a lot of times I have better conversations after hitting a joint a couple times. And like, it's, it started to become routine for me and uh, it got to the point where it's like, okay, what is reasonable and what isn't reasonable? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer for that. Right. But I do think you have to maintain balance with whatever you do. So this last month, um, I had surgery on December 7th and they prescribed me a bunch of narcotics. I never took one of them. And I'm not necessarily like saying like, oh yeah, look at me. I didn't take pain meds because I used a substantial amount of cannabis for pain management. I heard that. I heard that on the Okay. Office. So you yeah. Heard, yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it got to the point where I was smoking a whole joint and barely feeling buzzed and i was like okay it's, it's cool you did this and, and i'm not upset about it but it's also i think it's encroaching from a reasonable amount to now you are starting to encroach on an unreasonable amount so i went cold turkey month of january no alcohol i don't really drink anyways but it's just incorporated no alcohol no thc no mushrooms no anything and uh i think that uh no matter what you're into, you have to find that balance. And the balance is different for everyone. I will say this, the reason that I moved, and I never consumed alcohol in excess as a, an adult with a family and, a, and a, like when I was a kid, I did what we all did. And when yeah. I was in the army, I drank enough to fucking kill most human beings. But I do acknowledge alcohol in almost any capacity is poisoning your body. And I've moved away from that as a result, you know, I go out with uh, friends and we drink a bottle of wine or we drink a couple pitchers of Guinness. I feel like shit the next day. Yeah. And while it is fun, I also have to be like, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Sometimes it is, you know, but with cannabis, I don't feel that. I always feel better the next day. And so, yeah, man, it, as long as you're in control of it, I don't know if I'd consider it a vice, but once it controls you, 
now it's a fucking problem, you know? Yeah. I think it, I think it is different for everybody, you know, like, and, and some people's vice is sugar, right? Some people's yeah. vice is uh TikTok. you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's re- it really is different for everybody. Or some people's vice is sex. Yeah. yeah. And it's like sex is natural and healthy and good for you. Yeah. But when you have to go jerk off to porn, when you're at the airport during a layover, because that's how addicted you are to sex. That sounds like it's becoming a vice now, yeah. you know? And, and, and fuck man, you can drink too much water to the point where it's damaging to your cells. Right. So there is like moderation is, is key. Now I also like believe in excess too. Like when I, when I jumped into jujitsu, it was seven days a week, no matter what. And you just have to figure out like the things that you want to jump into with excess you have to understand, okay, am I being reasonable? Is it being detrimental? And uh, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough line to walk. Yeah. Because I literally said, hey, I'm going to take a month off of everything. And bro, I found myself like kind of fiending at night. Jones in a little like, bit. God damn, fuck, dude. It'd be so nice to smoke a joint right now. And the fact that I'm feeling that lets me know it's good that you're taking a break. Yeah. Right? Because. Yeah. As I'm chewing some Copenhagen, but, uh, (laughs) if you are not in control and the substance is in control, now we have a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I should never need cannabis. It should always be something that is something that adds value to my life. Right. And as soon as I don't have control over that, it's time to take a step back. Well, and and that's a hard thing too, though, for people, because how do you know? I mean, obviously you can tell yourself stories about whether or not, oh, this is good. This is helping me relax or, you know, um, this, you know, it's part of where there's a party. So of course I'm going to have, you know, a piece of birthday cake or whatever. But the way that I, that I kind of think about it is, is like, is it, is it, is it additive? Is it adding to your life? Is it actually improving or helping you grow? Is it, is it in alignment with what you say is important to you? And if you say that your physique is important to you, you can't have three glasses of wine a night. If you say that you want to be sharp and crush it at work, then you, you probably shouldn't be smoking joints on your lunch break. And, and, for me, I agree a hundred percent and what works for me. And I know that everybody's different, right? So what works for me may not work for you, but I will draw hard lines and I will set dates just like February 1st. You can have a, a puff off a joint if you desire to. Right. And I do that with all things in my life. Like I will set periods of time. It's 75 hard. Exactly. Right. The next 75 days, these are the foods I'm consuming. Yeah, but it's it's your best friend's wedding. I can eat healthy at a wedding, yeah. contrary to popular belief. Yeah, yeah, but it's the it's dude. It's Thanksgiving. You can go to Thanksgiving and and grill a steak and sit down with your family. People start to tell themselves these lies that it's like, well, what about this and and what about that? It's actually not that hard. Yeah, you can still be a social person. I can still go out with all my friends to the bar and drink water while they're slamming beers and have fun. Yeah. And so you, for me, I draw these hard lines and they're a specific block of time. And from this time to this time, this is what I'm doing. And if it hurts and like, dude, I, I was on 75 hard when a group of my friends went to Montana for a vacation and they all know me. It wasn't like, come on, Greg, you really not going to have a drink. No, I'm not having a drink. Cause I'm on 75 hard. And you know it, you know, and uh, 
what I hear from a lot of people is their support group, their peer group actually kind of tears them down when they're trying to live disciplined. Yeah. And if those are your friends, you might want to start looking at new friends or get them on the path with you Yeah, and say, Hey man, this, because you think I should drink that I should drink. You got to admit that's a backwards way of thinking. Yeah. I'm right here. We're out to dinner. We're hanging out. Yeah. We're sharing time and space together. That's what friendship's about. I just don't feel like drinking. Yeah. So do you like hanging out with me as a person or do you like hanging out with someone that enables you to consume alcohol? Right. And, uh, you got to find a peer group that supports you being you. And, uh, for me, I learned this in the, uh, when I was with the Ranger regiment, cause they'd say things like, Hey, on this date, you're going to Ranger school. I'm like, okay. And I knew for the next 60 days, they're really going to suck. Not a lot of food, not a lot of sleep. And instead of thinking about, Oh fuck, man, this is so painful. Fuck dude. Cause we don't ring the bell like the seals do. They don't have a bell, but I use that term for lack of a better term. Ringing the bell was never an option for me because I wasn't thinking about how bad it hurt at the time. I was thinking about on graduation day, do I want to be standing with the men that succeeded or do I want to be back home and be one of the guys that failed? Cause that day's coming, that day's coming. And really it's going to be here before you know it. So where do you want to be on this date? Mm. And I've used that throughout my whole life now. And I'll, and I'll say things like, Hey, I'll plan out like, okay, March 15th. I want to look like this. I want to be this percent body fat by March 15th. I know the path to get there. I just have to understand that between right now and that date, these are the, this is the discipline that I have to implement. And then on that date, fuck yeah, I'm here. I made it. I succeeded. And now maybe I'll go out and drink a pitcher of Guinness with the guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, is, is it, how bad do you want it? And in that process of understanding your sort of triggering environments or your triggering friends, like you, you want, you learn a whole bunch about yourself, about how, how disciplined you are. Can you say no? Can you do what's right for you? You know, your relationships and, and the relationship thing is, is part of it too. Like what's your relationship to alcohol? What's your relationship to sugar or cannabis or bread or, you know, feverish masturbation? Like what is your relation to that? Is it, is it, is it helpful or is it not? And you got to have the stones to be able to be honest with yourself to say, okay, all right. I, I slipped up, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're recording this on, on January 12th. How many people are doing dry January? Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a couple of friends who are doing dry January. I have a couple of friends that didn't make it seven days in, in dry January. And, and, and that's their journey. Like, of course, you know, biohacker optimizer, life coach, Sean, like they don't want to fucking hear it from me. Yeah. Right. Like I, Hey man, how you doing? I'm here to support you. Like, no, I, that's, that's not that I don't, it's, it, I, I'm in sort of a, in a funny spot there because like, I, not like I'm, I'm on, I'm high and mighty, but like, this is my craft. This is my trade. Yeah. And so it's like supporting people in that way, but they've got to figure it out on their own. You know, that if, if you're, if you can't make it a week without having a drink 
and you've said it out loud, you've, you've told people and on day seven, you decide because the fucking Huskies are playing in the national championship that you're going to crack a beer. And that was the thing that broke you. It's like, well, fuck, you, you got, got some work to do. You bro. got some work to do. Well, and, and I was going to say exactly that. One of the biggest tools for me, if, if I were, I, and I just said like, man, there's been a few nights when it's like, and I haven't been sleeping as well either because I sleep better when I partake in cannabis. There's been a couple nights where I've had a couple bouts of insomnia and it's like, fuck dude, maybe I should just smoke a joint tonight. You know why I can't is because I told my friends and my family that I wasn't going to. Yeah. And for me, if I break my word, then that's a failure mm -hmm. and failure to me is scary. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to make failure acceptable because where do you go from there? Right. You know? Right. I've told this story on my podcast a lot. And if I told it on your last podcast, I apologize. But I learned this lesson as an 18 year old kid when I was going through selection to get into Ranger Regiment. It's called, it was called RIP back then. It's the Ranger Indoctrination Program. And we were out in this place called Coal Range in Fort Benning, Georgia. And it was February. And Georgia's fucking cold in February. And we're out in this, this field and it was pissing rain and thunder and lightning. And they said, each squad pick that log up off the ground and hold it overhead. So like we're holding our logs like this and there's probably, I don't know, eight to 10 people in each squad. And they said, all of you Rangers will stay out in this field holding the log over your head until we get two quitters. And, and the cadre goes, that can be three minutes. That can be three hours or it can be three days. This exercise does not conclude until two people quit. Now, if you have it in your mind that being a ranger is not for you and you kind of think you probably aren't going to make it anyways, now's a good time to quit because all the other men are going to be fucking tortured and then you're going to quit anyways. So right now is a good time to quit, to take care of those men that aren't going to quit. So that, and then it becomes psychological warfare. Right. Then they built a big bonfire and they're grilling hot dogs. And they're like, our quitters get to come to the bonfire, warm up and grill food. And I just remember thinking, there's no way, there is no fucking way I will die under this log before I accept their offer for a fucking hot dog and a hot cup of coffee. And I just remember thinking like, dude, that resonated with me literally to this day. Sometimes quitting is very fucking appealing. Sometimes quitting becomes incentivized for a bunch of different reasons. But if you committed to something, you got to see it through. Mm. Because again, if you make failure part of your routine, it's going to start plaguing you in lots of areas of life, yeah. you know? And so I used to tell younger Rangers after I was in, it's like, dude, if you ever arrive at a point where it's so bad, you want to quit, quit on the graduation parade field. Say, hey, I, I accomplished every challenge you threw at me. And now I'm deciding in a place of comfort and, and contentness that being a ranger is not for me. And I don't want to be part of the organization. Don't let the organization break you. Throw it back at the organization Whoa. from a place of clear headedness and making a decision for you, not because they're torturing you, uh, you know? Oh. Damn, I'm gonna let that one sit. <laughs> because I'm here to tell you, bro, every seal, every ranger, every, every green beret, every person that quit, it haunts them 
forever. I bet. You know, because you'll you'll forever think back on that and coulda, shoulda, woulda. And man, this is our one life. You don't want to live with coulda, shoulda, wouldas. You know. I caved and got the vaccine for a hot for a for a hot dog for a Dunkin' Donuts. Bro, I have people that are close to me that were firefighters and police officers that did that. Yeah. Hey, if you don't take the vaccine, you're looking at being terminated. Oh, well, yeah, I got this and I got that and I got kids and I got mortgage. Yeah. And then they did it. And yeah. and now they feel like they caved under pressure yeah. and it haunts them. Yeah. I know guys like that too. And uh man, you don't want to be there. No. This is kind of an interesting transition. Do you think that there's a place for shaming people? Yes. 100%. I, I, uh, I, I, I knew you're going to say that. Yeah, I, 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 I'll take it a step further. I don't think bullying is the worst thing in the world. You know, don't get me wrong. If you have a disabled kid or, or you got somebody that's going through something really hard and people fucking see weakness and they jump on it, that's gross, right? And, and the truth is bullying is kind of gross in itself because it's not those people wanting to be mean to you. It's those people hating themselves and projecting it onto you, right? So both sides of that are living in a depressed state. Mm. But I remember I was getting bullied at school when I was nine years old. I went home, I told my dad, and he laughed at me. He goes, he used to call me bro. He goes, bro, what do you want me to do? You want me to drive to school and beat up another nine-year-old? Is that what you, is that why you're telling me? Or can you solve the problem yourself? And I'll never forget it. He goes, I can teach you how to make a fist and, and break somebody's nose. He goes, I'll help you solve the problem if you want, but I'm not solving your fucking problem. And that taught me to stand up for myself from a place of feeling shamed by being bullied at the bus stop. Fat shaming, You're fat shaming. You can't fat shame people. Well, and, and bro, I'll show you the, I'll show you the video after we uh, finish recording. There's doctors going around right now saying obesity is not your fault. I've seen those. Obesity is, uh, this doctor was saying, obesity is actually, your your brain already has a determined body fat percentage that it wants to hold. <sighs> and if you're a person that holds a, a higher body fat percentage, all the diet and the exercise in the world can't change that. Ugh. So that's the opposite of shaming. That's enabling. Uh, that's dark. And we all know what follows being obese, coronary artery, artery disease, art, arterial sclerosis, like, and it fucking kills you. So if I have somebody that I care about, i.e. my children, right? If my children, and, and they all know it, if you start to get fat, I won't tolerate it in this household. Now, I'm not gonna fucking make fun of you, but I am gonna make you wake up an hour before school and we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna fucking go work out together. Yeah. And I'm gonna show you, this is not an acceptable way to live. If I care about you as a friend and you start coming to jujitsu and your belly's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I say, Sean, bro, you gotta tighten up your shot group, man. Let's let's fucking let's talk about some options to get you back on the horse. That's not me. Fat shaming can come from a place of love. Yeah. Not from a place of like trying to demean people or be a prick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it is it is a reality of of humanity that those of us who can't hack it or can't defend themselves or are 
slipping in their in their thinking or in their behavior. You know, if you did something stupid and nobody calls you out on it and nobody shames you for being a dick, nobody shames you for for making others feel bad, like then that behavior is rewarded. It's it's okay, it's permissible. And that's where shit gets squirrely. I mean, it's such a simple example, but and, and bro, everything is not acceptable. Contrary to kind of like the direction our society is going, if there are lots of ways that you can conduct yourself as a human being that the people to your right and your left, if they observe it, especially if it's making them feel bad or you are, you're clearly starting to behave in a manner that's not congruent with the morals and the values that your circle holds, not only, not only should they, but like, I believe they should be obligated to. Yeah to pull you aside and be like, Hey bro, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing this? You right. know, now it's literally just like anything else in life. When, when we do bow out and, and we have tonight, we'll probably have 45 people training and I'm standing in front of 45 people. And I say, Hey Sean, your belly looks like it's getting too big. Okay. That's probably a problem because yeah. now I'm using it as an yeah. opportunity to demean instead of uplift. Right. Right. So it's, there's a right and a wrong way to do everything, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to post a picture of you on Instagram and be like, Hey, this is my friend, Sean. And, uh, looks like, looks like he hasn't been dieting lately. What a fucking, what a loser, you yeah. know, that's shaming in a negative way. Yeah. But I think if you, if you can do it in a positive way, it's okay. Yeah. You know, I like that. And I would hope on the other end of it, if, if you observe something in my life that you thought that it needed a little tightening up, mm -hmm. you'd pull me aside and be like, bro, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes shaming makes you, you know, if you do get called out in a manner that makes you feel very uncomfortable, instead of saying, dude, why is that person being a dick to me? You can say, why does that statement make me feel uncomfortable? Because if you, it goes back to being who you want to be in the mirror. If you look in the mirror and you say, no, I look good and I'm happy with this, then that should just roll right off your back. Right. Great point. Like I don't, uh, that person's fucking delusional. I'm very happy with who I am. But if you look at yourself and you say, ah, oh, fuck, he's right. Yeah. Then that's probably your problem. Yeah. You know? Great point. Great point. What, uh, what $100 product or service or investment have you made in the last six months that's like totally blown your mind? Oh, fuck, dude. Um, this wasn't in the last six months. It was longer ago than that, but the chirp wheel. What's the chirp wheel? Uh, I got like six of them on the wall out there. And, uh, you know, f as an athlete and as a ranger and as someone that like just beats my body up, beats my body up. When we were younger, recovery wasn't even a thing. Like when I was, when I was a 25 year old army ranger, I didn't even know what a foam roller was, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, jumping out of planes and helicopters and jujitsu, like it's hard on your back. I have found the chirp wheel to be it's $60, super affordable. And for me, it has changed the health of my spine huh. and, uh, I fucking knock on wood. Right. But I haven't had spine issues in a long, long time. And I had a lot when I was younger and it was funny because I recently I had a, a muscle spasm in my back and dude. Have you ever had a bad muscle spasm? Oh yeah. It was the worst pain I've ever had. Yeah. 
The worst pain you've ever had. It was, bro, it was debilitating. I couldn't even get out of bed. Uh, and it was pulling on my back so hard that I thought I fucked my spine up. So I went to the doctors and they did an x-ray and you could see like a, a, a part of my lower back off to the left-hand side that was white. You could see it on the x-ray. And he goes, your muscles are spasmed so hard that they're showing up on an x-ray. And he goes, that's very rare, but it lets me know the severity of it. He goes, but I got good news. You have the strongest looking spine that I've seen come through my office in years. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, my back's still good. I just had a muscle spasm, you know? So, so describe the chirp wheel for me. It's literally, you know, it's probably, it's a wheel and it's, uh, the diameter is probably 12 inches and they make two different variations. I have both out there. I'll show you when you're done. Most of them are about six inches wide. And then they have one that's like 10 inches wide for people that don't have as much stability. And you literally just roll your spine out back and mm. forth, back and forth. And you can elevate your hips on it and really like open your lower back up. And it's for jujitsu people. I tell, I mean, you see my recovery wall. I have oh, every, I have pretty much every piece of recovery equipment yeah. at the gym that you can find. But if I had to pick one item, it would be that. Okay. Chirp wheel. Okay. Good. How do you think about aging? <sighs> you know, I kind of go back and forth on this. There's a part of me that really, really is afraid to become a diminished version of myself. And I, I'm 43 now, and I feel like I still have a few more years guys like uh goggins and jocko and cam haynes and rogan they're kind of leading the way showing that you can be an exceptional athlete and you can be very capable in your later years in life if you stay on the path but there's also a part of me that once my physicality is lost man, it starts to really affect me mentally and emotionally and this last this last month has actually been a prime example of that without being able to do the things that I normally do, it starts to affect me emotionally. I found that I have like a, a shorter trigger my, my, or a shorter fuse getting triggered easier. Me and the wife had it out more times in the last month than probably the last two years combined. And it took me a while to identify I'm like, what's going on? Oh, I don't have my outlet. And there's a part of me that's like, man, if I ever get to the point where my body can't perform in the capacity that I'm used to or that I, I want it to, it's going to be fucking hard for me. And I know this sounds fucking dark, but I don't think I want to be an 80 year old man in a walker. You know, like I think I'd rather live hard and have a good fucking run. And when the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off. Now we may have a very different conversation when I'm 65 years old and I have a bad hip and like, Hey, I thought you were going to go out in the woods and die. <laughs> like, well, fuck, I don't want to anymore. Right. <laughs> but I also think about the human being is the only animal that is fixated on keeping a heartbeat as opposed to continuously living life. Right. Where it's like, Oh, well, I'm going to pump myself full of all these meds and I'm going to be on all these 
machines and like, but as long as my heart's still beating and, and I'm breathing in air, I'm still alive. Like the animal kingdom, once the physical body goes, there's, there's no elk walking around the mountains on three legs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel like that was the human experience pretty much until modern medicine has figured out ways. I mean, if you got an infection, you're dead, right? And don't get me wrong. I, I have had ailments where if I didn't have medications and, or in, in the case of my hernia, right? If I didn't have the, the medical technology to fix me, I'd already be in a bad way. So I, I get that there's, it's a double-edged sword, but me and my buddy, Greg Lappin, he's my business partner with guns and geese. We always say, Hey, we're, we're hopping off this train at 65 <laughs> and we're, we're seeing what's next, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, bro. I, each phase of your life, you bring different value to your community. Yes. And right now I still feel like I'm in the phase of being a capable warrior type person where like I'm old and I, I'm old enough to hold some wisdom, but I'm young enough that my physical body is still very capable once my physical body loses its capability, I think I'm going to struggle with that. I do. I mean, do you not see yourself at 75, uh, you know, with a gi on pummeling like the Gracie's? Like, no, no, nope. I have, uh, I am one person and, and it's funny. I've been a black belt for nine years now and jujitsu is literally my whole life, but I like jujitsu for, testing myself for having those hard roles for competing with my friends and pushing myself. And once jujitsu gets to a point where I'm just the old guy in the mat room that everybody can kick your ass, but they're not just because they respect you. I think it might be time for me to do something else. And a lot of people have, like, I have a lot of my friends and training partners that are jiu-jitsu guys that challenge that. They're like, no, you'll be a fucking red belt and your job isn't kicking everyone's ass anymore. Your job is to teach the next generation how to do it and impart your knowledge on them. And when I arrive at that point, maybe I'll be comfortable with that role. But if you were to tell me like, hey, all your purple belts and above can kick the shit out of you, I don't know if I'd want to roll anymore. You know, so I, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, like John Donaher. He doesn't really roll anymore. Right. And he is the greatest coach alive right now. Yeah. So he's fulfilling uh, a jujitsu journey outside of being a highly capable athlete himself. And bro, he's built the best team that jujitsu's ever seen. Yeah. So maybe when that time comes, I'll have more comfort with that. But yeah, it. I don't know if scares me is the right word. I don't, I don't necessarily feel fear around it, but I do feel like, I don't know if I want that in my life anymore. Conflict maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I've often said like, once my body can't handle the, the rigors of jujitsu, maybe I'll just become a yogi, you know, Sweet. find a new yeah. physical passion that is not rooted in competition and that is just really rooted in building the best version of me apart from how I match up to another man. Sure. I love the competition of jujitsu. Yeah. And a lot of people will say, check your ego at the door, but we're trying to beat each other. Yeah. 
that by definition, it, that is ego. Yeah. You know? Right. And I don't know if I would love it if I didn't have that. And I, I do think, don't get me wrong. I have a very good relationship with my ego. I have friends that can beat me and I want to beat them. I don't like losing, but I also understand I'm not the best guy in the world. And so I understand that this is something that the older we get, the the farther the, the scale is going to tip towards me being less and less capable. And I feel like at some point, my jiu-jitsu has an expiration date. The other side of it that, that I think about is look at Hicks and Gracie, arguably the greatest of all time with like 10 herniated discs yeah. and he's a fucking mess. Do I want to keep pushing jujitsu to where it completely destroys me? And in his, in, in his case, he became the best in the world and he brought jujitsu on the, the, the biggest stages in the world and, and literally brought jujitsu to America with him and his brothers, right? The legacy that he has probably supports 10 herniated discs. I don't know if I'm, if bringing jujitsu to Lake Stevens, Washington is worth that for me. It's just something I'm going to have to play by ear as I go. Yeah. But I, I'm also very, uh, I don't like to do things for, I like new challenges. I like new adventures. I want to sail the world. That's something I want to do in my older years where again, sailing the world requires a physical body, right? I can't be in a fucking wheelchair and do that or a walker, but I also don't have to be in fight shape to do that. Yeah. And so someday I think I'll walk away from jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you'll allow me to kind of, kind of wax on that a little bit, you know, the, the thing that I, that I know about you that is, that is proved out in all the things that you do is you are already paving a path to elderhood. Like you are a community elder at 43 and this concept that, you know, when you look at tribes, we look at, even you know, sh shamanism, when you look at communities of people, yeah, physical prowess is, is part of that, that progression. And it's all, it's coming for each of us. Right. But that idea that you are already a leader and an elder and seeking wisdom and, uh, and imparting wisdom and doing it not not just with your hands but with your brain and with your mouth yeah is that that's that's an ex in my mind my opinion i think that's an exciting chapter that that i myself am looking forward to i just want to kick that count as far down the road as i could possibly of course can right? yeah you know like i the, the day will come for me to do TRT and, you know, stem cells and, and, and support my body because, you know, I can't do it on my own, but and I'm, I'm already in that phase of life. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but you, and, and that, you know, you may be, that may be effective for you for another 15 years. You Very know? true. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so you may be able to squeeze all the juice out of that for, for another 15 years, but it's, it's just my observation that, you're all you've already stepped into elderhood status mm -hmm. you know and, and and so yeah modern medicine is going to be able to support us even more in the next 5 10 15 20 years we're going to be able to stretch out our sort of physical capacities um you know i like rich roll you know rich roll yeah insane podcast um marathon ultra marathoner um 
you know, he's, he's aging so gracefully because he's watching what he's eating. He's got a great, insane podcast. He's a great interviewer. And he is like, the, I think the epitome now and, and, and Rogan, you know, in, in the same way, it's like aging, <clears throat> but, but also still providing insane value and wisdom to people yeah. every single day. And, and, and I, and I can see it on your face and I can hear it in your voice. How, uh, how intense this concept is. And, and I appreciate your honesty on it. Um, because I don't think there are very many people that are willing to say, you know what? I'm fucking concerned about not being able to fucking choke people. Yeah. You know? And, and the truth is like, it's, it's easy to say that when you're still a very capable person. And as that starts to wane, I'm sure your perspectives will shift as well, you know? But one thing that I can tell you already is I already take more value from this place, building the next generation up than I do building my own jujitsu up. I don't like competing anymore. You know, I don't have a drive to go out there and show how good I am. Will I do it sometimes? Yeah, but I, I do it more out of the, to show my team that this is something that we can do. This is something you can do. And this is, you face those nerves. You go out there, you, you deal with the uncertainty of competition because it, it helps you grow, right? But for me personally, I am not going to become some avid competitor at 43 years old. I've already had my run and it wasn't great. <laughs> you know, I had some ups and downs, but that's most people's journey. You know, very rare, very few guys have massive successful runs. Most people's jujitsu journey is a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. And, and that's good too. There's a lot of lessons in those ups and downs, but I am already seeing like, man, when I, when I see these kids come in here that are timid, or shy or just very averse to like any type of physical confrontation and they're with me for four months and then they're like there's there'll be kids training when we wrap this up right now and you see them out there like just little fucking killers but what's more important than that they have great jujitsu and the way they walk they just exude confidence you know and that is the most rewarding aspect of what this place is right now. Awesome. So I'm already there to a certain extent, you know, yeah. but yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like I, all my young 20 year olds that are fucking up and comers that are monsters. I still like talking shit to them. Yeah. <laughs> I still say, I still like saying like, bro, you ain't going to get coach. Not one time in the next, I tell my, my younger guys like that are in the like 20, 21, 22. I'm like, there's a 0% chance you'll tap me before your 25th birthday. <laughs> oh, we'll see about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But I'm also not delusional. It, it could happen next week, sure. you know, but it's, it's fun to lead the team from a position of strength, yeah. you know? Yeah. And once I have to lead this team from a, a hundred percent position of intellectual strength, not physical strength, that's going to be tough for me. Mm. I know it will be, you know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate your self awareness, and I and I think it's 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 right on brand for you, you know, to uh, be honest and open and not try to bullshit your way out of that. Yeah, yeah. So I I just think that's that's super refreshing. Um, so the final question you may remember from our first episode is a fill in the blank question, and 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 I don't remember how you answered, but I'll throw it out again. It's a fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing blank. <laughs> I mean, you really, 
Is there any question of what I'm going to say? <laughs> yeah, obviously for me, it would be jujitsu. And uh, there's a million reasons why I think that everybody should know it. But the, the, the foundational reason, and I tell this to my team all the time, jujitsu doesn't show you who you are. It shows you who you aren't. Because most human beings are living a life with a misconception of who they are especially men. Most men, I, I see it here on a weekly basis where I'll get a new 30 year old guy who's like, Hey, you know, I want to try this stuff out. I watched the UFC and they come in here and they think they're going to come in here and kick everyone's ass. And at the end of practice, they're sitting on the bench with their, their head with their on between their legs, like looking down at the ground, feeling utterly defeated. And I'll tell him that like, bro, I know you don't feel good about how today's practice went, but if you could come in here and have success against guys that have been doing this for 10, 12, 20 years, there'd be no point in coming in here. And that lesson is not just applicable to the realms of choking each other on the mats. The lesson of learning that I'm not where I thought I was in life can be applied to everything, man. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And it's, uh, I mean, Joe Rogan said it, you can't be full of shit on the mats. And a lot of people inevitably start to live a life where they're probably full of shit on a lot of different things. And I think it's, uh, and, and I always say this caveat, it doesn't have to be jujitsu, but you have to partake in things that push you very far outside of your comfort zone. So you can really meet that version of yourself that, wants to quit. You can meet that version of yourself that has fear. You can meet that version of yourself that like feels anxiety and then you can confront that person. And I, I've seen you on Instagram training your ass off for the last, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. Yeah. Bunch of pictures all fucking sweaty in your bio pro rash guard and shit. Yeah. And I'm going to guess that came with a lot of moments of anxiety. Yeah. A lot of moments of, and I'll tell people fear. Like you feel fear. I don't, you're damn right. I feel fear when you start fucking getting suffocated and you can't move fight or flights kicking in and both options are no longer available. I can't get away from this person and he's a better fighter than me. Now what? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of emotional growth that happens there. And so I cannot tell you how many new students come in here and they're like, bro, I came in here cause I wanted to learn to fight. And my growth that I'm experiencing has little to do with fighting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's where the magic happens. I honestly don't think you can grow into the optimal version of yourself without putting yourself out there and experiencing a lot of negative. I shouldn't even say negative, just emotions that don't feel good in the moment. Right? Because if you don't feel, it's like the yin and yang, right? You want to feel good, but if you really want to feel good, you're going to have to suffer too. Yeah. You can't have hot without cold. You can't have up without down. And jujitsu puts a lot of moments in your regular day-to-day -day life that don't feel very fucking good. But when those are over, oh, fuck yeah. yeah. You feel even better. Yeah. You know, and, and dude, Sean, one of my teammates who was on the Rogan podcast a month or two ago, he said that he goes, it was cool hearing him talk about this. Yeah. Gym. What he, he called you out by name yeah, specifically a yeah. couple times. Yeah. It was pretty cool. But one thing that he said, he goes, man, 
If I go through the adversity of getting choked in the gym, the rest of my day feels a little easier. And that's, that's where you grow from this, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> another banger, another, another good one, man. This was, this is so much fun. I, I really, I, I, I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad we've connected. I can't, I'm feeling fear now cause I'm going to go face those fucking savages. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, thank you so much, Greg, for joining me again on the optimal performance podcast. Always, man. I am, I'm honored to be a guest on your podcast and, uh, you know, there are people you sit down with and your energy just vibes. Ours always has. And we could probably record one a week. Yeah, we could. And just have fun with it, you yeah, know? So yeah. I know this is this is uh, one of many. And uh, apart from podcasting, you know this gym is your gym, man. Anytime you want to come train with our team, cross-training is great for you. And uh, more importantly than having good jujitsu here, we have a good community. And I'm excited for you to kind of immerse yourself in it from time to time. Right on. Thank you, dude. Thank you.